Hi everybody and many thanks for tuning in to the very first Jojo Business Podcast where I chat to various folks from the South Wales business community and beyond to find out what they're up to and hopefully to give you some interesting tips along the way. So without further ado, can I introduce you to the first person to sit next to me on the interviewer's couch? Real Radio's Tony Dowling where we chat about sales, marketing, selling, social media, business and generally put the world's rights. So sit back, relax and get ready to have your mind blown or if nothing else, gently massaged. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm here with Tony Dowling, and this is going to be the first Joe Jet business podcast. We've done a few podcasts before, but they've been very web-related, so I've shifted those over to the whole Port 80 thing, which is my web conference for um, web designers and web folk in South Wales. I'll put all the uh, links, etc., in the show notes. So my first victim today is head honcho of Real Radio down here uh, by the lovely Castle Koch today. So, Tony, good morning, mate. Good morning. How are you? I am good, thank you. This is lovely here. I love the, the, the leaves changing colour. It's very nice. Well, I've been very lucky to have worked here for 12 years, and uh, I'll be leaving soon, as uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to pastures new, uh, to go and work uh, down in Swansea, which is equally lovely, because I get to work by the sea. Um, but I spent many uh, summers afternoon walking down by the river, uh, watching the fishermen. It's yeah, I, 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 saw, I saw some... Um... And you get herons in there and all sorts of... It's a glorious place to work, absolutely beautiful. Fantastic. So what's the new role then? Um, it's a, a similar role in so much... Uh, it's a managing director role, um, but it's a different media. So I'll be MD of South West Wales Media, uh, which is a cluster of newspapers, the South Wales Evening Post, which is still the biggest selling newspaper in Wales. Right. Uh, plug. Uh, <clears throat> the Command Journal, which is the oldest newspaper in Wales. And the Fletchley Star, uh, which isn't very much of anything. Oops, shouldn't say that. Uh, and uh, a couple of magazines and a, a website called This Is South Wales, um, which is uh, which is good, which is really nice. It's about double the size of the gig that I've got now, um, but uh, in a much smaller area because obviously Real covers whole of yeah, Wales, yeah. Um, and I'll be <clears throat> just really working in uh, in Swansea and South West Wales. So have you got like some sort of big grand strategy for this, or obviously you could, you could tell me, but you'd have to kill me. I'd have to <laughs> yeah. smash this device in. <laughs> no, I think that uh, it's fairly clear uh, to anyone uh, any, with any kind of media, understanding of the media, yeah. uh, the newspapers are, are challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably less clear um, that lots of media are equally challenged. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think radio is as challenged as press in some ways. Um, <clears throat> for instance, press has got all the reach in the world, uh, but still only accounts for about 6 or 7% of the advertising spend in the country. Right. Uh, whereas uh, press is de- uh, reportedly declining in terms of its reach, um, or circulation, in, to use their terminologies, um, but accounts for something like 40% of advertising spend. Um, so <clears throat> possibly the, uh, the stories of decline are a little bit uh, exaggerated. There's no doubt that uh, readership is going down. There's no doubt that the numbers of papers they sell are going down. Yeah. But like a lot of... Uh, a lot of things uh, I think there's a transformation going on I think the readers are going online yeah and that's the challenge and, and that will be the strategy uh, there isn't one yet no. <laughs> uh, but the plan will be to uh, probably to rebuild uh, to look at uh, the this is South Wales uh, website particularly um, make it all nice and uh, functional and working properly right. and, and try to monetize it as much as possible because people want good content <laughs> exactly then ultimately this is something that we've talked about in radio for a long time as well uh, it's about the it's not about, rather, it's not about the platform particularly. Uh, it's not about whether you're accessing your radio station um, uh, online or on your phone or on your FM radio or even your DAB radio. <clears throat> it's actually what you're accessing. That's, yeah. that's the, the focus. Uh, I've always considered uh, radio stations should consider themselves as content generators first yeah, yeah. and foremost. 
and <clears throat> excuse me, understanding how the different platforms work and how content has to sort of shift and change uh, in order to work on different platforms is fair enough, but the, at the centre of what we do has to be that the generation of the content in the first place. Uh, that's actually what creates our audience and right. obviously what allows us to make the money, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is the all-important. I think with radio, it's easy just to think it's like an, just an old medium, because I mean, obviously it is, but uh, even what we're doing today, the whole podcast thing show that people want to have their media in different formats. I love listening to podcasts. They're a different thing to video. Video's a lot more sort of aggressive. People get a bit scared sometimes in front of the camera, whereas sometimes you can just roll up with a mic and do the podcast, and people really get into it. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think the uh, commercial radio is only about... 30 or 35 year old in this country right. it's not all that uh, old uh, newspapers is hundreds of years old yeah. um, but radio and, and television themselves obviously you know traditional uh, traditional medium um, and the, the audio medium uh, has always been around uh, and you would think will always be around yeah. you know, music is so important for a start uh, but increasingly people are understanding how important speech is you mentioned yeah. podcasts there's a great example uh, we did a deal uh, with a uh, I think they were called We7 um, we did a deal as Guardian Media Group a couple of years back to provide content in between the songs. Okay. Right. So you had your classical um, user-generated playlist service, right? So uh, you know a Spotify or a Last FM or wherever where you go in, you select what you want to listen to. Brilliant. And everybody thinks oh, that's like the dream, isn't it? You, you don't have to listen to the ads. You don't have to listen to stupid DJs and so on mm. and so on and so on. But there's a lot of radio stations actually making money out of providing that stuff back into those services. Because actually what, what, what you appreciate is, yeah, if you want to listen to a jukebox, that's fine. Uh, you can listen to your iPod, you can listen to Spotify or anything else. But actually if you want to be entertained, if you want to, if you want to have company, yeah. if you want to learn about something, if you want to learn about the news or you want to learn about... Yeah, exactly. you, 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 then you need that <coughs> bit in between. And it's interesting that radio goes through these uh, various kind of um, developments, the evolutions, uh, and, and, and I think... It, we are breaking down platforms. I think we are understanding that it's not about a podcast or a video or a blog or a paper or a, yeah. it's it is just about content. It's becoming increasingly the case, and consequently, I think people who produce content are becoming more and more important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you focus too much on the delivery channel, you lose sight of what you're trying to achieve, which is to produce meaningful content. And this is exactly what happens when it comes to our uh, advertising uh, sales, particularly. Um, we have this uh, sort of phrase, uh, we talk about the it's the message, not the media. Um, and what we're trying to convince people is the, the sort of 70 or 80% of the time they spend worrying about where their advert's going to go should actually be utilised worrying about what their advert's going to say. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. exactly the same message as our, as our content producers, our production people, our programmers, as we call them in Radio Land, as they're having with each other. You know, what are, what are the bits between the songs going to sound like? What are the songs going to sound like? What kind of mood are we going to elicit at the top of the hour when people need a bit of a lift, maybe, uh, or before we're going into a break? What's going to bring them back yeah. from before a break, uh, after a break? How are we going to structure the whole hour of the, of the content of the radio station? It's very, very technical. Whereas historically, advertisers have kind of gone, how cheap can I get it? Mm-hmm. How few spots can I get away with? Um, I want them there, but I don't want to pay for it. Uh, and then kind of, well, what, what about the ad? Oh, don't worry about the ad. The ad will be fine. Yeah, no. We'll do the ad. It's absolutely insane, you know, especially today and today's heightened uh, with today's heightened awareness of content yeah. and how quickly people churn through content. You know, um, if I'm online looking through blogs, which I do on a regular basis, if you if I'm not engaged in that blog in the first paragraph, I'm on to the next one. It's yeah. absolutely brutal out there. And it's exactly the same with your advert. 
there is there is a difference, as you know, Joel yourself, between uh, interruption marketing and permission marketing. I get that, you know, but good interruption marketing, good ads, uh, whether they are TV, radio, um, or banner ads, or anything else, they have to be they have to be engaged and they have to be content first and foremost. And if they are, people will consume them. It's yeah. it, it really is as simple as that. It's funny because I, mean, I see so many parallels there with websites that some clients get fixated with, well, should it be this colour or should it be that colour? And they don't pay much attention to the content. And it's sort of, we've ended up creating a beautiful palace, but we haven't put anything meaning, meaningful in there in terms of me- message. And you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater then. And it's, it's, exa- and it's exactly what happens. You get a, a, an advert. Uh, well, there's, there's one, I won't name the, the client at the moment because they're on air with us currently. But they actually have uh, three messages in one advert. Yeah. And radio is really good at getting across one single simple message. Um, you can't do uh, lists of cars, for instance, like you used to get in, in the newspapers uh, uh, back in the day. Uh, you can't do um, uh, price promises. And, and anything complicated doesn't come over very well in radio. Uh, but this advertiser is so confident that his uh, USPs, and there are many of them, uh, should be in the advert. He's determined to cram them all in. So first of all, he gets an ad that's too long. It doesn't need to be that long. Uh, it's disjointed. Uh, but more, most importantly, I think, sounds like three different advertisers. Yeah. So you actually end up with... Uh, the first part of the ad is, is, is quite nice and breezy and uh, has a really good idea, actually, uh, if you, when, you, when you come to look at it. Then the middle of the advert goes into a sort of attendant offer, something that's in the same ballpark but with a different style. And then the final part of the advert um, creates another character again, a completely different person, unrelated to the first two parts of the ad. And all this is in one 50-second commercial. Uh, So it it does literally sound like three different people advertising and actually advertising the same thing, effectively competing against against yourself. But it's almost criminal how little people worry about what goes into their advertising. And I'm I'm sure it's exactly the same (coughs) about the copy on the website. And they want (coughs) certain things to be very important on the website on my phrase is that you can't have everything said to volume 10 because otherwise everything is shouting and we've got to give things space to breathe whether that's through white space or whether understanding that that's my main call to action these are my secondary ones and only through that kind of savviness do we create an experience where the, where the user isn't shouted at when Absolutely. they get to them. they're not bamboozled by everything there's a, there's a great book actually called um, The 22 Immutable Laws of Branding right. by Al Reese and Laura Reese. Wife. We'll have to put a link to that. Might be a, might be a wife, might be a daughter, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, the original book, um, you probably, or you might have heard it, was The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing by Al Reese and Jack Trout. It was a bit of a marketing classic. Um, but Al and, uh, and Laura, anyway, have decided to refine the, these laws for branding, right? And they talk about this an awful lot, one single idea. And the, the idea is the, your, your brain, uh, your, the brand owns a part of your brain, the, okay. uh, the position, right? But it'll only own a single bit. It'll only be able to associate one thing with one thing. And it's so interesting, actually, when you, when you start to get into it. He talks about um, uh, BMW as, a, as an example. Uh, a few years back, uh, you would have regarded BMW as a motorsport mark, a motorsport brand. It was the ultimate driver's car. Uh, if you were going to have one, first of all, you had to pay through the nose. Yeah. Um, but you knew that you were getting something that was that was really special because that's what the brand stood for. Uh, today, uh, that brand is fractured. If you think about it, right. you can have a one series, you can have a three series, you can have a five series, you can have a seven series, you can have a six series, you can have an X series, you can have an X one, an X three, an X five, an X six. 
Uh, you can have you can have a, a saloon car, you can have a sporty car, you can there's all sorts of different elements to this brand. Um, what's interesting is that it's increased its volume. It's increased the sales. At one point the three series was the most ubiquitous car on, on the roads. It probably I think it sold more than the Mondeo at one right. time. Wow. It was a higher a bigger selling car than the Mondeo. Uh, but what has it done to the BMW brand? Yeah, it's everything to everybody. Then. It's everything to everybody, and it's very much cheap in debt. So they're making money in terms of uh, selling more stuff, but obviously they've reduced the effectiveness of the brand itself. So yeah. by kind of turning up the volume yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, their small cars, their compact cars, their saloon cars, their sports cars, their SUVs, they're all they're trying to be everything to everybody. Exactly the same thing happened to Ford. Uh, and all, all that you actually uh, end up doing is, is diluting that message, you know. So what, what we want uh, is to be in those days, uh, you know, years ago, where BMW stood for, stood for sport, or Mercedes stood for quality, or Bentley stood for luxury. Or, you know, you, you almost want to own a word in the mind of the person that you're talking to. Uh, and that's, that's what we try to get across to our advertisers. You know, that's your position, and there certainly will be a message within that position. Uh, but what is that single, simple uh, position that you own? Uh, and that's the bit that most people overlook, because they are literally trying to cram everything that's good about their business, either into their website or into yeah. the newspaper ad or into the radio ad. But started off subtly, started off with a story and engaged the people, isn't it? Don't, don't throw everything at them. The, these, are the, these are the lessons of, uh, of the internet, I think, particularly. Um, the the so-called you know the difference between interruption marketing as it's been described and now and the new inverted commas permission marketing as, as Seth Godin has described it. Um, radio is a classic interruption media, right? Yeah, I'm, there I am listening to the song, singing along to ABBA uh, or whatever uh, it is I've decided to <laughs> listen to. The truth sex. Yes, um, uh, and suddenly uh, a shouty man comes on asking you to buy cars. Um, and it, it kind of in it, where where Seth, I disagree with Seth. I think there is an implicit. Uh, permission uh, because you're listening to the yeah. radio station and you know that there are ads on it and typically people are happy to allow the radio station to make money because they know that people have to make money and they know that businesses have to uh, be able to stand their own two feet and that's how radio stations do it so they're kind of tolerant of the ads so there's a permission there right but the concept of literally interrupting somebody as they go about their entertainment for the day uh, is a sound concept I think whereas online particularly we've we have learned that Unless you engage, unless you have content that is worthy of, of my attention, I'm just not going to give it my no. give you my attention. Um, so, you know, read a blog. If if I've lost it in the first paragraph, I'm gone. Yeah. I'm out of there. I've, I've shut it down and I've moved on to the next one. I probably read, I would imagine, twenty or thirty blogs a day. Yeah. Uh, but I probably only get to the bottom of about five of them. Do you note? I mean, you must know uh, from your blog. We we're going to get onto that later on, but. Some people, they just sort of spew out loads of words and without any subtitles or any kind of th- thing which allows the eye to gloss over it. Because this, this is what I think people do with a the blog. They, they, they gloss over it and the brain makes a very quick decision. Am I going to invest the time to read this whole thing? Because my time is, is really uh, is finite. I, I, you know, I, th- I think some of these ideas are, are quite traditional. Yeah, you know, on we, newspapers we, we, we see it. Exactly, right? So we've learned that uh, we have to be ultra um, sharp when it comes to our content from the internet, if you like. Um, but in terms of framing that content, in terms of producing that content, the rules are, always, uh, are yeah. as they've always been. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, headlines is a great example, you know, telling the story in the first paragraph, exactly. but building your blog upside down, mm. as, as some people talk about. But what, what I think is interesting is there are, there's so many experts out there, as you know, there's so many experts <laughs> out there telling us how to do it, right? Um, but what you've actually got to concentrate on is the person that you're trying to talk to. Mm-hmm. That's the first and foremost. I read a, a post the other day by a guy called Dino Dogan, uh, 
who, oh, uh, the founder of Triber. Yeah, yeah. And was a bit of a character. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of characters out there. Yes, but it's a, it was a 3,000 word post, right? It was a very, very long post. There was a lot of um, uh, images, uh, uh, there were links in there and, and so on and so on, and he'd structured it. it, was a, it but ultimately what it was was a, it was a fascinating journey through his mind, right? It was really well written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a terrific argument. Uh, and it's a bit like reading The Guardian or The Times, right? Yeah. You start at the top of it, you read the entire story. Why? Because it actually takes you there, it right? The story is good enough, the content is good enough, the writing is good enough to take you there, to keep you captured and to keep your interest. So I do push back a little bit about, you know, when people say what you need is short paragraphs and bullet points and headings and so yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, you do need to format your text properly yeah, yeah. in a blog particularly, but ultimately it has to be good. Yes. You know, yeah. ultimately uh, you, people will read 3,000 words. Oh, yeah, you can't format words. yourself out of, a, out of a bad situation. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> but plenty of people do. Yeah, plenty yeah. of people do. Newspapers do it, radio stations do it. Uh, everybody does it. I They're, certainly see the uh, the link bait titles all the time. Five things to do this and that. And sort of, you can use. You've been reading my blog, have you? Well, no, it's fine <laughs> occasionally, but you can't. It's like you can't have just one string to your bow with that no, kind absolutely. of thing. It's got to be more to it than that. And, and headlines are exactly like adverts and exactly like a sales pitch. Yeah, you know, yes. if, if you if you're going to talk about selling, personal selling particularly. You know, you, there's this uh, American uh, concept um, called the elevator pitch. What's, okay. what's your five-second speech? You know, what do you say to somebody uh, that immediately describes what it is you offer? Um, selling radio is really, really complicated, right? So radio salespeople, uh, I sell radio. That's that. That's the relevant speech, and we don't really want to go into what it is you sell because it's really, really complicated, you know. And I bet you're exactly the same. I, I think building uh, websites or, or website internet strategy, online strategy is extremely complicated. So many different elements to it, uh, but you won't go into that in your elevator speech. You know, you'll no, try no, and keep no. it simple and you pull yeah. people in. So that, that that is effectively your headline. That's you know that's pretty much what we're, what we're talking about trying to trying to achieve, and then you you want to keep it. Uh, and what and what's interesting. A lot of people, once sophisticated salespeople, uh, once they realize that they can actually start to segment their customers with their elevator speech, then they become, they become much more uh, sophisticated as sellers. And by that I mean um, realize that you can't pull everybody in, you can't sell to everyone. There are no. only a certain amount of people that will want your product anyway and that you'll be able to work with. So your elevator speech becomes uh, what we call it in technical terms, becomes a qualification process. Right. Can I work with you? Can you afford my product? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where are you likely to, uh, to buy? You know, where are you in, in the buying cycle? Now, it can be done extremely badly. It was done to me extremely badly two weeks ago uh, by uh, the Mercedes garage right. when I rang up to try and arrange a test drive. And the lovely receptionist came on the line and said, hello, Mercedes, can I, can I help you? Yeah, I'm looking to... Uh, I'm thinking about buying a car. I'd like to arrange a test drive. Oh, one moment, please. She comes back. Is it a personal car or is it a, uh, will it be a business car? Will it be a company car? That's the first step in a qualification process. And that's the salesperson, the other side, talking to the receptionist, being extremely lazy. Yeah, exactly. So I come back and I say, oh, it's going to be a company car. Oh, one second, please. And off she goes again. Comes back again. Are you going to be able to choose the dealership that you buy the car from? Oh, so this is literally yeah, the salesperson yeah. who can't be asked to take the phone off the receptionist, qualifying me, right? So you, you have to be, uh, there were another three or four uh, questions as well. And then interestingly, nobody phoned me back. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> they don't really want to sell cars, do they? Exactly. Um, but um, uh, the, the more sophisticated sellers amongst us will use things like their elevator speech, that initial interaction to gauge whether or not this customer is valuable to right. gauge whether or not they can work with them. You know, it's, it's a bit like you know one of my rules of employing salespeople: you have to like them. 
Okay. You, you shouldn't employ people you don't like. Okay. You can't manage people. Uh, I know it, it's not particularly uh, uh, the done thing. You know, you, you talk about give everybody uh, equal chance. You should employ. You should be shouldn't be afraid to employ people you don't like. No, no, no that's nonsense. You can't work with people that you don't like. No. You get very, very bored, and you don't give them enough of a chance. Yeah, and then yeah. you just bomb them up. You're waiting for them to make, exactly. make, make exactly. a mistake. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's that kind of element to it. And, uh, and, that, and that segmentation can take tons and tons of different forms as well. Um, you know, can, can I work with that person? Uh, do I like that person? Yeah. Uh, all these are valid and valuable ways of segmenting your, your market, as well as do they have enough money, you know, yeah. do they have the ability to pay? Well, it's really interesting that you get onto some of the mechanics of sales and all that stuff, because going back to my story, which we mentioned before, I mean, my company's been running... 11 years now. The first couple of years I was sort of contracting and freelancing, going into agencies direct. So there wasn't much selling apart from an agency would ring up saying, Joel, do you want to go to Bristol? It's X hundred a day mm. for six weeks. Mm. You know, there wasn't much beyond that. But about six, seven years ago, I kind of got, no, seven years ago, I got kind of bored of that approach and I wanted to deal with companies direct. Mm. I did the whole Yellow Pages advert mm-hmm. and I'll never do that again. But <laughs> I, I knew nothing about reaching markets and sales and stuff like that. I knew all my web design stuff, the the the, the, the build stuff, mm. and the internet strategy stuff. I knew my little area, yep. but everything outside that was absolutely <clears throat> completely alien. So um, you, know, you start dealing with people, and you don't understand why they don't buy from you, you don't even understand anything about negotiation. get upset about it. Yeah, well, you, well, you would, because you take it personally. Yeah, yeah and exactly. I, I've had to learn the hard way that, you know, you can't, can't deal with everybody. Not everybody wants to buy from you. Not everyone's the right customer for you. But I certainly feel a responsibility now, certainly for a lot of the other freelancers and creatives out there who I know they're good at their craft, but they're going to come up against this as well, that they don't know how to sell their stuff. They don't know anything about those kind of areas. Are there any sort of hints and tips to give those kind of people hmm. to, to, to help them realize and to get that sort of message out there? Well, I, I think what you said there is, is a very powerful uh, idea, right? You, you, you should... You should choose your customers. Not everybody is in the luxurious position of being able to do that, right? I get that. Uh, and, and typically businesses have to find some traction before they can start yeah, to exactly. do it. Uh, you, you know, you have to be able to pay the bills and, and so on before you can get so picky. Um, but in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of selling, um, when, my first day uh, with a new salesperson um, always contains this lesson, right? There's what I'm going to go on to talk about. And it usually throws the people that I've employed completely uh, and it's a good indication for them as to uh, philosophically where we're going as a business, okay. where we where we go in terms of our sales strategy, right? So I start with, uh, you meet a client for the first time, uh, you've walked in, uh, maybe it's an appointment or maybe it's a cold call, but you know, in five minutes, um, uh, you're there. What, what is it you want to leave them with, right? What, what do you, what are the, what do you want them to think of you as a salesperson? What is it you're trying to achieve? Are you trying to get them to like you? Are you trying to get them to trust you? Are you trying to get them to respect you? Right? What order? Give us one, two, three. Trust, like, or respect. Now, it's absolutely fascinating because almost every time, uh, most salespeople go with like first. Yeah. Because people buy people. Yeah, I'd have gone for like. Yeah. Right. Now, it's unfortunate it doesn't stand up to any kind of reasoning, <laughs> if you think about it, as I'll explain. Um, I deal with trust first because that's the easiest and the most obvious, right? A lot of salespeople pick trust first as well because they want their clients to trust them. I get that. Um, but, you know, I've got good friends that I don't trust. I've got people that I've known for 15 years I don't trust. 
I might trust them to come up with me for a beer. I might trust them uh, to, to waste an evening with, but I wouldn't trust them with a thousand pound. I wouldn't trust them with my wife. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't trust them with my children. Um, trust is a, is a, generally speaking, particularly today, I think, a very hard-earned commodity, right? And you cannot strike up a degree of trust with somebody in a 15-20 minute meeting. What you can do is build a level of trust or rapport, as it's sometimes called, sufficient to allow them, to allow you to continue to talk to them. I get that, right? So you're obviously not a complete idiot. Uh, You're obviously not going to steal all their take-ins. You know, you've got some sort of professionalism about them. So there's a kind of trust in that. I I accept that sort of element to it. Um, But you, you, you build up trust over time. The only way you build up trust really with your client is by delivering results for them. Right. Uh, you deliver results from, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. Then you start to build up trust. This is a guy I can go to. This is a guy I can ring up a short notice. This is a guy I can take my problems to, and, and, they, and he's going to solve it. Solve, yeah. this, is, this, is a, this is a woman who has an insight into my business. This is a woman uh, who, who I know has my best interests at heart. Yeah. This is a woman who I know, while making money for herself, is making money for me too. So that, that, those sorts of relationships build over a period of time. You can't do it in that first call, as we call it. Like. Let's pick like. I'm always buying stuff from people I don't like all okay. the time. Really? Well, think about it, right? Do you like the people uh, who work on the checkouts in Asda? No, don't even think about them particularly. No. Um, back in the day, right, a few years back, there used to be Chocolate HMV. I don't know whether you remember oh, okay. it, right? I used to go and uh, buy uh, uh, DVDs from there and, uh, and CDs and things. And invariably, the person working behind the counter was a dick invariably they didn't want to be there is this why they went out of business (laughs) possibly (laughs) they didn't want to talk to you Uh, uh, they were very music focused weren't they but they weren't probably people focused Uh, very much so right but I still bought why because I actually needed what they were selling more than the pain the pain of putting up with dealing with them right now it's not to say that if you if you piss people off they're not going to leave you know I understand that right and there's no doubt that people buy people for sure we, we all understand that. We intuitively get that. But what I'm trying to get, get across is that people don't buy people exclusively. No, it's part of the mix. If you go to uh, take a car dealer, as a, for instance, right, you need to buy a car. Mm. And you decided, because of the way buying behavior works, right, you decided that you want a Mercedes or you want a BMW or you want an Audi. Then it doesn't matter. If you finally plump for the Mercedes, it doesn't matter how much of a dick the salesperson is, mm. you're probably going to buy that Mercedes. Yeah. You'll, you, and this is, the, this is the scary thing for most salespeople, right? Most salespeople sell despite themselves. <laughs> it's right. true. It's absolutely true, 90% of the time. Um, people buy uh, after f- uh, following uh, five steps. They need identification, an information search, an evaluation of the alternatives, the purchase decision, and then we undertake what we call a post-purchase analysis. Right. So was the thing I bought worthy of the yeah. money? Yeah. You know, am I going to buy it again? Or am I going to try and go somewhere else? Nobody ever bought anything they didn't need. No. Even if that need is a deep psychological problem that is filled by retail therapy, nobody bought anything they didn't need. And salespeople fail to understand this. No. daily right if I don't uncover as we call it in the trade if I don't uncover the need that person's not going to buy most salespeople go straight into information search and they overwhelm the client with information that they're not interested in having because they haven't they don't need the product or they go straight into evaluation of alternative where they start slagging off the competition and telling people why my product is the yeah, best yeah. Um, with a, a business like yourself if you have an incoming lead then it's a fairly uh, and the same as ours there's a fairly uh, a fairly certain uh, chance that that person feels they need your product. Yes. Uh, if you walk into a car dealership, you can be fairly certain that that person needs that product, right? So you can assume 
that need. But what we do most of the time is we go out to businesses to sell. So we ain't trying to talk to people who haven't come to us, right? Yeah. We're just trying to you know, interrupt people and sell to them. So at that point, the absolute primary thing you have to do is establish whether or not they need it. Yeah. So in, ter- in terms of tips for uh, functional specialists, right, in terms of tips for people who aren't salespeople but who are really good at what they do, mm-hmm. all you have to uh, establish in the first instance is the person I'm talking to in need of the thing I'm selling. Because if they're there, you are more than halfway uh, through. If they're not, if they don't need it, you ain't going to sell to them. No. It's just not, not in a million years. It doesn't matter how good a salesperson you are. If you have five pairs of glasses, it, you can be giving them away and people won't take them off you. <laughs> if you don't need glasses, you're not going to buy glasses. Simple as that. So ultimately, that first, uh, uh, the first experience with that client, for the first time experience, what you want to leave them with, or at least in my opinion, is this sense of respect. Respect for what it is you do. Yeah. And this is where, because I've seen you in action and I've read your blogs, this is where you win. People may not like you, right? I learned this a long time ago. Well, I'm not saying that, but they don't like me. Uh, I have what is called a Marmite personality, right? I, have, I am entirely, uh, either people think I'm witty and charming and uh, super fun and uh, an amazing character all around, or they think I'm a dick. There's very little in between. There's very little in between. But even people who think I'm a dick will buy off me. Oh, okay. Because they respect what I've got to say. Because they think, because of the way I talk, that I know what I'm talking about. And it, this is what I mean. It'll be the same for you. You know, the the fact is, you you know, so, so deep is your knowledge, so sophisticated is your knowledge of what you're trying to do. It just oozes out of you in conversation. So the first thing that I'm going to get from you when I talk to you is respect for what it is you do. And that, that's what you should be going as a salesperson, as a functional specialist, as somebody who's a non-salesperson. That's all you have to worry about. Do you look like you know what you're talking about? Do you sound like you know what you're talking yeah. about? Uh, do, you know, if I'm coming in to buy uh, a service from you, I don't want to tell you what I need. I want you to tell me what I need. Mm-hmm. So the last thing uh, I, I want is, is for a salesperson to say there's three options. You can have this high one, this middle one, or this low one. I don't want that. What I want is somebody to say, you this is this. what you need. Yeah. That's how much it's going to cost. <laughs> you buy it or not. It's entirely up to you. Obviously, there's kind of uh, there are, there is exceptions to that. Options are always a problem, aren't they? I suppose. Yeah. Well, I, I, the option sell or the menu sell is is fascinating. It's it is typically a way of of closing a deal, right? It's a, it's called the it's called the alternative clause, um, and uh, psychologically, we are more likely to say yes uh, if faced with a couple of options than if just faced with the one option. So, it's easy, in other words, it's easier to say no if somebody just uh, just offers you one thing, right? It's easier to say no. right. And typically, what do you buy? You don't buy the most expensive, and you don't buy the cheapest. The you buy the middle ground. That's tip- and that's how, that's how menu selling works, right? The problem with menu selling, as I see it, it would be if you're you know, building somebody a, a, a web campaign or, or selling them a radio campaign or anything else, is they don't know what to do. How, sorry, they don't know how to do what you do, no. right? So what they're actually after is a recommendation. They don't want. I, I learned this. And I learned this a long, long time ago, right? I went to somebody and I did the classic menu sale. This is gold option. This is silver. This is the bronze. And he said, right, why should I buy the gold? And I said, well, because it's the best one. And he said, so why should I buy the bronze? And I said, because um, it's less good than the <laughs> bronze. Um, and he said, uh, is it, but is it still going to work? I said, oh yeah, oh, yeah, back on safe ground now, right? Yeah, of course, of course, it's going to work. Of course, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pitch you something that wasn't going to work. <laughs> So he said, so what's the difference between the way the bronze one works and the way the gold one works? Uh, uh, the gold one's more expensive. <laughs> it's okay. Right? So, he, so he, he actually said to me, why don't you just come in 
and tell me what it is I need to do and tell me how much it's going to cost. And I thought, shit, that really does make a lot of sense. And again, if you think about it, right, in terms of the way we are trying to sell, if you are a so-called consultative salesperson, right, um, you don't go to the doctor and say to the doctor, you know, I've got a bit of a sore throat, right? And the doctor says, you know, pokes around and the doctor says, ah, bit of tonsillitis, got a bit of infection. What you need uh, is uh, these antibiotics, uh, print them out for you, take four a day for five days. You don't say to the doctor, five days? <laughs> I don't know about that. How about three? What do you think? What if I took five a day for four days? You don't negotiate with the doctor. No. You, the, you accept what the doctor says. Unless you don't got respect for that doctor. That's the thing. Now, this is really interesting, right? Interesting. You go into a doctor's office. Why do you go into a doctor's office? Why are there reception areas? Why are there receptionists? Why have they got certificates on a wall? It's to create this environment, right? Now, you think about it, women particularly. Yeah. This is not a very nice example, right? So you may want to sit down for this. I am. Okay. All right, good. Uh, women particularly will su- subject themselves to the most intimate of examination I can imagine on the strength of somebody wearing a white coat. There's no other qualification process going on here. There's no information search. There's no evaluation of the alternatives. Some guy or girl walks in with a white coat on and <laughs> into the stirrups we go. It's incredible. Because, but it's all about the, the, uh, the, the environment. It's all about the way the, the, the sale has been set up. It's all about the way that it's been pitched, you know. You need the conference to create that environment as well. I mean, going back to something <clears> you mentioned earlier, when I'm going back to my Yellow Pages ad land, people would ring up and say, you know, how much is a website? And I'd be <laughs> completely flummoxed. I wouldn't know what to say, see, because I think in... I have no idea. And I think they would almost hear that, um, and certainly my boss, as if I'm trying to rip them off. I'm yeah. like, well, I've got no idea what you're talking it's about. That's exactly here. what happens. I, I'm, I'm having a conversation at the moment. It's brilliant. I'm having a conversation on my blog at the moment. It's a long, drawn-out conversation um, uh, between uh, myself and a couple of filmmakers, right. um, one of whom uh, works uh, very respected, uh, work, for, work for the BBC. And these guys are insisting that and they're right from their perspective yeah. they're insisting that they can make a video for somebody uh from anything between 1500 pounds and 1.5 million pounds right so i i the post in question was um why why getting a budget is not always the best thing to do right why trying to find out what your client wants to spend right. is not the best thing to do and it's kind of related to this idea we're talking about now uh, in that what you really want to be pitching to your client is what's going to work and it doesn't really matter how much it's going to cost What's important is whether or not it's going to work, right? So the last thing you want is a budget. If you walk into a, this is the, the logic. If you right. walk into a car dealer, another example of a typical sale people are you know can relate to, uh, and the guy sidles up to you, the oily uh, snake oil uh, uh, car salesman sidles up to you, you know. I'm glad that's your image. Uh, absolutely, and you know that licks his hand and starts to pat his head. And uh, can I help you? Which is the worst question they can possibly ask. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for a car. Uh, and they say, how much have you got to spend? It strikes fear into the heart of everybody, right? How much have you got We're to spend? Back onto money, then. How much, you got money. To, how much you got to spend? What's your budget? What are you thinking of? What about, how, many, how much a month? But what they're trying to do, clearly, is find out how much they can take you for, right? And unfortunately, that's exactly what the mark, sorry, the customer, perceives to be the case. Yeah. All they want to find out is how much money they got. So what do you do? You pitch it low. If you, if you give them a budget at all, and a lot of people don't, you pitch it low because you don't want to get caught out. No. Now, the trouble is, salespeople come away from that experience and then try to fit a campaign in our, uh, our language, a campaign to a budget. Instead of telling somebody what the campaign they need is going to cost, yeah, yeah, they yeah. try to fit a campaign into a budget they've been given. And uh, the, the sad part being, they don't realize that the client has come in with an absolute bottom level deal anyway. Yeah. 
So that's already like, and everything's built on a lie then. As as a uh, as a matter of principle, I would I would immediately double whatever budget somebody gave me yeah. immediately, and that would be my first option um, until I stopped doing options completely. Um, but the tra- uh, and the, the conversations going on, uh, what the guys are saying is they don't want to lose business. They don't want to frighten people off. They don't. They can literally make a video from anything between fifteen hundred and one point five million. Literally, they can. Mm. It all does. De- now, and this is the point. It depends on the brief. It depends on what it is the client needs to achieve, and that's where you have to get over. That's actually the hard part. And and for you guys, for func- for your functional specialists who've become sales per- people almost by default, this is where you really do win. Because you can switch off the sale, you can forget about uh, uh, technique, you can forget about opening or closing or negotiation That's or good. anything else. You can forget about it. And this is actually why you win, because you do forget about it. And you get into the intricacies of whatever it is you're selling. You know, ultimately, what is it you're trying to achieve from this product? Mm-hmm. Because, because once I know what it is you're trying to achieve, guess what? I can build you something that will do that. Yeah. Um, now, there is a, there's an element of qualification. There's no point in you wasting time putting a load of work into something that people can't afford. And that's exactly it, Johnny, because I mean, some, for me to find out exactly what people need, I've got to spend a lot of time on that. So they need some ballparks. Front, but I, 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 this is all straw man stuff. So this is why sometimes I do have a few off-the-shelf things. Yeah, well, but, absolutely. But also just to qualify them so, so that they can say, that, that, no, that isn't what I need. That's fine then. So now we're actually getting closer to it. Because like, initially, I, I, I know back in the bad old days, I might have spent ending up a day on a quote and so on and stuff. And not only have I not won the job, but I've given them my intellectual property about what they need to be doing. Yeah, for absolutely. Free. Absolutely. And and that that's what is this is really counterintuitive, right? Um, at my level, twenty years later selling media, at my level I can now say to a customer with confidence, as I said to you earlier, right. if you want to come on this radio station, you're talking at least five thousand pounds. Right. Right? Now the reality is that actually you could probably get on for two and a half, depending right. on what it is you wanted, if that was the right thing for you. Uh, or you could spend 20. Yeah. Easily, right? On, on radio, easily. All I'm actually after is that, you said it, that ballpark. All I'm actually after is, now, what I want to do is get rid of all the people who want to spend a few hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk to them because I don't want to waste my time with it. Uh, and also, uh, I just, the, my, the first kind of step is to, is to make sure that the conversation is going, uh, keeps going. You can use your experience and you have to use your judgment as well. You know, is this type of business the sort of business that we would normally deal with? So, for instance, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm talking to a shoe shop or, 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 or somebody who sells socks or, or a fish and chip shop, right, and they're a single unit, there's only one shop, it's hugely unlikely that they'll be on radio. So I'm actually going to try and talk them out of this conversation because mm. I don't want to be having it with them because the reality is they're probably not going to buy. No. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss opportunity. You're going to lose sales. But it's better. You better be in that direct. You better be in that heavily uh, into your qualification. Uh, you better be in that upfront. Ultimately, just because it saves you so much time. Because otherwise, you spend 24 hours working on something, worrying about something, mithering about something, and the client is only an information search. Yeah. The client, you know, or maybe even the client hasn't actually accepted that they need it. Because this happens quite a lot as well. Everybody thinks that they should be, uh, they should advertise. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. But until you actually perceive that, that every, everybody thinks they should be online. Everybody does. Every, all businesses that I, I know talk about it. Or we, you know, we need to sort our website out. Or social media now. Maybe. Social media is the latest thing, absolutely. Uh, it, it, just because you know, uh, you, know you have, a, um, you have a, a dream or a vague kind of vision of, of what that might look, does not mean you're ready to buy it. No, no, no. no. So you, 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 in my, again, it's only experience and it's only my opinion, you know, but 
you, you can be as upfront as you like, you can be as fast as you like, and you can tell them. In, in, in terms of the uh, video, I don't see what's wrong with saying to somebody, do you know what, I can make you a video for 1,500 quid or 1.5 million pounds. Some people are terrified about speaking about prices. Though. Absolutely. And, and this is the other thing that drives me mad about websites and adverts. People who don't put their prices on there. Mm-hmm. What was this revisit, right? Need identification, information search, evaluation of alternatives, uh, uh, purchase decision, and then post-purchase analysis, right? So I'm online especially. What am I doing? Probably searching for information. Probably. You make that information hard to come by by not putting a price on your website, and you're dead. Yeah. I'm moving on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make uh, uh, reviews hard to come by, and you're dead. I'm moving on to the next one. You make the information that I'm searching, and this is this is the you know the internet as the, as uh, as the most democratic tool uh, you can imagine. You know, um, they're going to get that information. Yeah, they're going to get it right. Whether they get it from you or not is the question, yeah. and whether or not they perceive you to be the place that they got that information, and consequently somebody that they can trust and somebody they can do business with is the question. That's what we're actually after. So the last thing you need to do, and I also remember I had argument after argument after argument with window companies when I worked with a lot of double glazing companies. I don't want to put a price on it. Why not? Uh, well, if I put a price on it, Jimmy down the road will undercut me. Right? Uh, so I'm not going to put a price on it. Right. So what happens if he does undercut you? What are you going to do? Well, I'll have to undercut him. And then he'll undercut me. And I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. Why? When did this race to the bottom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah. Why, why do you have to do that? Um, in um, in business, you're either the cheapest or you're different. Uh, it's, it's called the price differentiation continuum. Uh, and most of our clients, uh, probably your clients as well, are racing not so much to the bottom, actually to the middle, where they want people to believe that they are the cheapest and the best, yeah. which does not exist. It's a concept <laughs> that the average person will not accept because everybody knows that that cannot be the case. If I want the best, I have to pay for it. That is a fundamental law of the universe. If I want the cheapest, guess what? It's not going to be the best. So a large part of what we do is try to convince people where they are on that continuum. Yeah. Are you down here on the cheap? In which case, that's what the advert needs to say. If you're cheap, it has to tell people that you're cheap. And if you're not, you can be as expensive as you like. It actually doesn't matter from an information perspective. Yeah. Right? If I if I were an Aston Martin advert, why, why don't... Uh, I put, uh, this car is absolutely gorgeous and it's guaranteed to get you laid and it's £80,000. Why don't I put that? Actually, that adds to the advert. That adds to the, the whole... exclusivity, is it? Uh, absolutely. Mm. Right, you're not, you're not going to pay £20,000 for that car. Mm. If I'm going to pay £20,000 for that car, then I'm going to Ron's Autos and I'm getting a 10-year-old M3 trying to achieve exactly the same thing. Um, pricing is absolutely essential to your business because it positions you as a, as a either as quality product or as a cheap product. And this is where Apple went time after time well, after exactly, time yeah, after time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of objections I've seen about pricing um, on the websites and stuff like that is people always say, well, there, there could be somebody cheaper. Well, I mean, my argument is there's always somebody cheaper. <laughs> Unless you're the you cheapest. Can, well, but the thing is, there's always somebody who'll do it for free in the web. Oh, but we'll the experience and stuff like that. Well, don't get involved in that race. It's the, fa- the fastest way to position your product is through price. Um, if you, uh, you're, you're standing in front of two car dealers uh, and you, n- without any other information at all, right? They're both wearing suits, both got ties on. And you say to the one, what's, what's the average uh, cost of the product, of your product? And they say £15,000. That tells you everything you need to know. 
if the, the guy uh, the ne guy next to him says uh, the average price of my product is eighty thousand pounds, it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. And then if the third guy did I say the three or two? I can't remember. There's three now. And the third guy says five thousand pounds, it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. You know exactly <clears throat> where these guys are. It's actually essential for the customer to be able to navigate his way around the product. To understand where it's positioned is this a good if you if you're going to be cheap you have to be the cost leader accept that um uh, otherwise you're not going to win because it is you have you have to get to the bottom and you have to own the bottom you know yeah. uh, as aldi and, and little did when the when the recession first hit you know 40 years ago whenever it was <laughs> it feels like yeah um but the, the alternative is also the case if you're different you have to own that difference and you don't uh, uh, you don't obscure that position by talking about price and stuff. You you come straight in with how much it costs. That's how much it costs. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to have to pay. Yeah. That's what people want to know. <clears throat> well, let's just move on a little second then. Um, you're big into blogging now. You yes. Got the uh, completely free sales advice blog. What got you into that? Was it? I mean, how, that hasn't been running for ages, is it? It's a, it's about a year now. Yeah. It's right. actually about a year. Um, it was a. I'd always been interested in the idea of blogging. Uh, I'm a bit of a news geek, um, even though I'm a salesperson, uh, you know, I'm a media person as well, and uh, I've always been interested in news and stuff. And I very um, quickly appreciated that you could get comment, news, opinion uh, from all these weird and wonderful people all over the web. Uh, so I didn't have to go to the CNN website, and I didn't have to go necessarily to the Guardian. Uh, although I spend a lot of time on the Guardian website, uh, you can have all sorts of uh, input from all sorts of places. Fantastic. Um, and I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, that's my uh, ultimate ambition. Is my little uh, uh, little cottage by the sea, uh, bashing out if you pardon Remington expression. typewriter. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> classic, uh, classic picture. Um, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So um, it suddenly struck me. Uh, actually, what started it was it suddenly struck me that I needed to get a bit more in-depth knowledge of social media. And it was fairly clear that a really good way to go about that was by starting a blog. So I actually, uh, back last October, uh, went onto WordPress, only because it was the only name that I knew. Yeah. I went onto the WordPress site. I thought WordPress blog and WordPress. I know, yeah. And now I know there's a lot of other platforms. Other platforms are available, folks. Um, went onto the WordPress uh, site and it, my head fell off because I was published online in about five minutes. Uh, I, I can't believe Google this. probably indexed you within that time oh, it, was, it was just absolutely awesome. <clears throat> and from then, I haven't yeah, been able to stop. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's voracious. I'm, I'm up to about, I think it's about 30,000 views uh, in that year. Uh, and it completely freaks me out. I've wow. been read in 70-odd countries um, I've made uh, connections with people like yourself, mm -hmm. like Pepper we mentioned earlier, and Mark Schaefer as a for example. It's so random yeah. to have a have a relationship with an American marketing person through blogging, yeah. or through Twitter, or through social media generally. You know, it's, it's, it just yeah. freaks me out That's completely. Funny, I mean, I, I know you through Pepper. I mean, I know and respect yeah. Pepper. I know known for a couple of years. And then when I started interacting online, I could see that you were a big fan of Mark Schaefer, who independently I was a big fan of. And it, and it was funny how that thought, oh, yeah, Tony must be a good guy. Because Mark's very big on authenticity, on, on, on helping people and all that stuff. And I'm into that. And that, and that was the very much the original theme of the blog. Uh, and the reason it's called, it wasn't actually called completely free sales advice at first. It was called really bad sales advice. <laughs> right. uh, and with a little... Uh, uh, caveat and what to do about it. Right, yeah. That was my thing. I think I'm going to be clever. Until I realized that actually all anybody was seeing was really bad sales <laughs> advice. Don't make it too complex. No, exactly. <laughs> so, I, so I went with completely free sales advice. But the, the mission was, uh, was born out of reading 
actually reading the book The Tower of Twitter, Mark yeah. Schaefer's book, yeah. um, where he talked about targeted followers uh, and he talked about uh, great content, uh, but ultimately he talks about what he calls authentic helpfulness. Yeah, yeah, and I just yeah. thought, wow, that is brilliant. Yeah. I got a brilliant job, I got a great life, I got an amazing wife, I got two lovely kids, I got a nice car, I come to work every day and I have an absolute blast. What can I do? for the universe in return yeah. you know and that was it sounds really grand and really up myself um but basically that was it can, you know can i help people um it's interesting because it's actually part of my sales technique sales process anyway it's the sort of offer absolutely free advice to people you know if you want to uh, understand how to buy radio i happily talk to you for a couple of hours before you even decide whether or not you'll buy it a lot of people don't appreciate that's how it works but that's all radio sales people are exactly the same all consultative sellers are like that you know we're happy to give away our knowledge, if you mm-hmm. like, in, in order to try and um, secure you as a client. So that, that was the absolute founding principle. Uh, it, but it comes from the, this desire to be a writer and thinking that blogging would be the perfect place to learn how to write. And I have to say, it's been, uh, it's been a blast, an absolute blast. Fantastic. And of course, that's, that led us on to I. Really. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, all of a sudden, you had this brainwave to get Mark over into the UK. Well, it was, it was really, I can't even remember how it started. It was one night. You, you sent a tweet out, I think. It night. was ab- absolutely a conversation that we were having, and we were having about Wales, because, uh, just talking about connections and coincidences, uh, 20 years ago, Mark Schaefer used to spend a lot of time in Wales. Oh, right. He worked for uh, an organisation uh, called Alcoa. Oh, which well, was as exactly, uh, which was which was my client uh, when what, I worked down in Rodstone, or was it? No, when I worked in Swansea, oh, okay. um, and it was Swansea that he that he used to go to. So um, he was he said something that he saw, obviously saw in the bio. I was from well, I've spent a lot of time in Wales. I was like, well, what did you do in Wales? Uh, Alcoa. Well, Alcoa was one of my clients, and we just had this conversation mm-hmm. that went on, uh, and and I think it was actually Mark who suggested when you put a social media conference on in Wales, and I'll come and talk at it. And I was like, really? And he's like, really? And I said, what, for free? Salesperson. Uh, for free. And he said, yeah, absolutely, for free. I'll, I'll come and I'll, you, put, you put it on, you make it happen. And I think he said he wanted 150 people. Uh, as long as you get 150 people, he said, I'm happy to come and talk at it. So obviously he didn't want to come, he was qualifying. Well, no, yeah. He didn't want to come and talk at some sort of tuppany thing. And in the end, we had um, just over 200 people, I think. Um, and it was, it was born on Twitter. It was promoted on Twitter. Um, the, and a brilliantly designed website. And yeah, uh, identified by Russia. Well, everyone pulled together. Oh, very, very much. It was. It really <clears> was a, a kind of collaborative, uh, and what you would probably call a grassroots uh, conference. And I think that's why it was quite unique. You know, it didn't make any money, literally. Um, uh, it made about the final analysis. It made about a hundred pounds, um, all of which was donated uh, to uh, charity. Uh, Fifty quid went to Holly's Ball, and fifty quid went to Autism right. Cymru. Right. Um, both of which charities are very per- close to me personally yeah. um, uh, but it was amazing there was 200 people in a room who were so vibed about the experience it, it was, was not funny they, such a mix of speakers oh, incredible yeah. uh, Pippa was brilliant Mark Weber was brilliant uh, Mark Schaefer Everyone was brilliant was. they were everybody yeah. without doubt and which, is, which is unusual to say because normally at the conference there's a couple of people who simply you just tune out of because you're not quite that interested and that's, that's what you'd expect but no not on that day that was a what, what I thought was so special about it actually was the audience the audience was so engaged they came in engaged they came in waiting to hear they came in in the right frame of mind they stayed in that right frame of mind all the way through and when Mark Schaefer came on at the end, we had a we had a round of applause. It was like a rock concert. It was yeah. absolutely incredible. Uh, so it's absolutely it's one of those things. It was absolutely of its time, bang on uh, at the right time, uh, with the right people saying the right things. It, it was like a like a perfect storm. <laughs> Brilliant. 
And I've heard a rumour there might be an R2. Ah. Is, is, is this true? Is it? it is true. Okay. Um, the details are very sketchy at the moment, um, but I can absolutely confirm that Mark Schaefer is coming back. Oh, wow. Um, I can confirm that it is uh, in May, uh, and I can confirm it's probably going to be, and this will become clear, four times bigger than the original. Right, wow, okay. <laughs> that's my positioning for it. Uh, Don't make it on 10th of May, because that's when my web conference is ready to be put, because I couldn't, I couldn't attend then as well. So. I'll, tell, I'll tell you, hang on one second. Oh, okay, we've got a date as well. We have got a date. It'll be the 6th of May. The 6th, good, okay. I'll be busy on the run-up to it, but I shall definitely attend that. And do we know where it'll be, or these are the, all the details which are... All, yeah, all, all, these are all the sketchy bits. Um, it's, it's, we're looking for a... It's a completely uh, supercharged version of what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, effectively, I think we are going to bring four to be confirmed uh, social media gurus over from America. Awesome. We're going to um, get. We've got. We're in the process of nailing a hotel partner. Uh, we're going to take it to four cities in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, and uh, this is a roadshow. It's, it's now. It's an absolute roadshow. Um, and uh, it's likely to be. I think Marriott. We're probably going to pin down. Uh, as as the partner, so it's likely to be in the Marriott and Cardiff. Okay. Uh, it'll be in uh, Birmingham, uh, Manchester, and Edinburgh, Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, as uh, Mark calls it. Actually, wants to go to Edinburgh, and um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I've, we've secured some nice sponsorship as well this time around too. So uh, we should get uh, we should have a, a more than underquid. It's a bigger uh, yeah. It's a bigger bigger event all told. You know, but th- this time it's different uh, because we have to pay to do it. We have to pay to bring them over. We have to pay the the yeah. the, the, uh, the, the hotels. We have to, you know it's a, it's different in that sense as well. So it's very. But when it's proven the first time, it's a different kind of fish. Absolutely, that, that's the plan anyway. And tickets go on sale. Uh, hopefully in December. That's the wow. Okay. That's the plan. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think you know we should probably wrap things up because you're a busy man. You got things to do. Uh, I've I've worn myself out. <laughs> <laughs> you can go home now. Job well done. Brilliant. Well, Tony, thank you very much for that. That was really really in- interesting. And uh, I will let you know when it's online. But thank you very much. I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a quiet round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Pleasure. <laughs>